welcome to How to Get a Job College Student Edition, the podcast for first-generation and minority college students. Each episode will feature topics such as highlights from students who have completed the Mastering College to Career Mentoring Program, networking opportunities, and unique insights from industry thought leaders. So if you're looking for your guide to success, you're in the right place. All right, welcome, welcome, welcome to this episode of the Mastering College to Career podcast. And today we have an amazing, amazing guest. I have Adam Broda with me today. He is the founder of Broda Coaching, and he's just an amazing individual that I've met through LinkedIn, but I follow his content for a while. And I'm excited to have him here to talk about the hiring manager's perspective. So Adam, welcome. Thanks for having me. Yeah, super pumped. I, I wouldn't say I'm that amazing. I like to think of myself as slightly better than average, but uh, yeah, I appreciate the introduction. Good to be here. Uh, no, I'm, I'm glad that we, we, we got this in the books and we're doing this um, and super excited for this conversation. So before we kind of dive in, uh, why don't you tell us a little bit more about yourself? Absolutely. Um, Adam Broda in a nutshell. I grew up in Virginia. I lived there for 23 years. Um, super active in sports. My, my parents basically filled my entire day for 18 years with, with athletics um, and, and probably some school that was mixed in there. That was important. Uh, but yeah, I lived in Virginia my whole life uh, up until the point where I graduated from Virginia Tech. So I did my bachelor's in mechanical engineering. I took a job with Boeing out in Seattle. And then my fiance at the time and I moved from Virginia uh, out to Washington back in like 2012. So been out in Seattle for going on 10 years. Uh, yeah, I've been married for about that same amount of time. In, in that 10-year span, uh, worked at Boeing for a while, had a lot of different jobs. Most of my background was you know, mechanical engineering, tooling, equipment. I did a lot of automation work. Um, last job I had there was in 3D printing. So I got to kind of do some experimental stuff, which was super fun. Um, and then, yeah, right before the pandemic hit, uh, we had a baby, made some pretty big career changes, switched over to Amazon, uh, which is where I work now. Um, and then, yeah, at the same time, also started a, a coaching side business. And that's that's exactly what I have today. Um, so yeah, Broda, Broda Coaching, I'd say we're still pretty small. There's a pretty lean group of coaches that, that we work with. Um, we only take on a couple people at a time. We're really big on quality over quantity. Um, again, the whole thing is we don't run the company to make tons of money. So that's not what it's about. Every experience you have is, is personalized. And, and our main goal is to try to help people get into the right career. Cause we think that when that happens, it's easier to make the world a better place. Yeah. Um, and yeah, our content's kind of built around that personal skills, professional skills, elevating somebody as a total person, not just, you know, as a career professional. Um, I'd say the bulk of our clientele is somewhere between students and somebody with 10 years of experience. But every once in a while, we get somebody that's out, that's an outlier, and that's okay. Uh, outside of that stuff, um, I have I have one kid. I have one and a half kids. <laughs> um, second second baby is due end of this month. We're really excited. Uh, I'll have one boy and one girl. My son is about two. His name is Roman. Um, yeah, we live in Seattle. I have what I think normal people would call hobbies, but when you have kids, there you don't really do them all that often. Um, <laughs> that's not a surprise though. I enjoy making barbecue. I think. Coming from Virginia to Washington, you learned that Washington's really good at a couple things. They're great at seafood. 
They're great at anything related to a Asian cuisine. Um, they're terrible at barbecue. So I gave up on Washington barbecue and just said, you know what, I'm going to figure out how to make my own. Um, still a work in progress. Ask me about brisket sometime. It's a great way to network with me. <laughs> um, yeah, I think when things get a little crazy, when I have more free time than I normally do, I, I do rally racing. So I have an old Subaru that I fixed up with my brother and we do, uh, we, we do rally races and auto crosses in the area. Um, you know, how, how easy has that been with the pandemic? Not, not very, I've only done a couple, but still fun to, to get out and do some racing. And then lastly, if I could call it a hobby, my, my wife and I really like traveling, but I feel like every millennial that's self-respecting and has an Instagram says that. So that's not really news. Um, but yeah, we love getting out, trying new food, going different places. Um, looking forward to doing that with my kids when they're older, but that is Adam Broda in a nutshell at 35,000 feet. Love it. That's love me. it. That's awesome. Um, I do have some follow-up questions on that. Do you use the green egg for the briskets? No, I do not. I have a really old school smoke hollow stack propane smoker. So I don't have a Traeger. I don't use pellets. I don't have an app that controls it. Um, maybe one day I will get to that, that level of investment. But uh, yeah, I have, a, I have a traditional gas smoker. I still think charcoal and straight up wood is the best, but it takes a long time and I don't really have a backyard. So you're kind of working with what you've got. Got and, it. Uh, yeah. Propane is the cleanest. <laughs> Second question for you. How does mm -hmm. an, a mechanical engineer decide he wants to start giving career advice and go and create a, an amazing co career coaching business? Yeah. Great question. Um, <laughs> the pandemic does a lot of, it did a lot of crazy things. I think, you know, like I said, I was at Boeing, went out on maternity leave, saw the writing on the wall that, hey, we have an airplane grounded and hey, there's a pandemic and hey, people probably aren't going to travel much. So I should start thinking about secondary streams of income or maybe just a separate job. Um, in terms of how I got to that point, I had been, I mean, I'd, I'd been a hiring manager at Boeing for six years. So I, I became a manager um, sometime around like 2014, 2015, and realized I have a real passion for helping people. It's the most fun part about my job, even today, whether it's doing tech and software or building robots and airplanes. Um, I love the people aspects of business. So just said, hey, you know, let me let me see what I can get into where I get to work with people more. And that's what ultimately led me to Broda Coaching. Um, you know, I, I kind of looked out in the world and I said, there's a lot of recruiters sharing hiring advice, you know, more than I can count. And I thought, what would it, you know, wouldn't it be interesting if I just talked about everything from the perspective of somebody that's actually hiring, right? Somebody that's actually making the decision and how my thoughts are maybe a little bit different than a recruiter. Um, you know, how an interview looks that's uh, from the perspective of the HM, the guy that actually, or girl that has to make the call as opposed to somebody that's just sourcing the talent. So yeah. that's what Broda Coaching is. It's, it's, it's career advice and how to get into your dream company from the perspective of somebody that actually hires the talent. Love it. And, and so I want it for anybody listening to this, I want, I want to under, help you. I want to make sure you're understanding what is a hiring manager, right? Um, a lot of times when you're looking for a job, when you're applying for a job, your first interaction when you're applying is with a recruiter 
or, or someone in HR, but ultimately the decision on whether you get the job or not is with the person who ultimately would be your boss or the person that manages the team that you'll be working for. And that is actually that to me, in my opinion, the best individual that you should be net, networking with. Yet most people are thinking and networking with the recruiter and, when, and they're great. Don't get me wrong, but what I've noticed is that recruiters can tell you no, but they can't give you the yes, right? A recruiter can look at your application and say, yeah, I don't, I don't think you're qualified. I'm not going to move you forward to the hiring manager, but they can, they can disqualify you. But even if you're the best candidate they've ever ran across, they can't make the ultimate decision as yes, the best case scenario, they can move you forward and tell the hiring manager why they think you're so great. But the hiring manager ultimately makes the decision. So they have their influencer in this, in, in this scenario but not decision maker. And so a lot of the advice that I see, Adam, that you're posting, I, I, again, coming from the hiring manager's point of view, it, it's so great. And, I, and if you can maybe in your point of view or in your experience, describe how does the job search process has worked in the companies that you've worked for and the point of what is the role of the recruiter? What is the role of the hiring manager? Or and, and I guess explain that a little bit further. Sure, I can, I can talk about two things. Yeah. Um, People often think that sourcers and recruiters are the tip of the spear, right? That that's the first point of entry and, you know, that's the first set of barriers you have to get to. And that's, that's not actually true, right? The hiring manager is responsible on the front end and the back end of the hiring process. Recruiters and sourcers really work through the middle. Um, a recruiter, just like you said, right, is taking requirements that they did not create and going to find talent, that that requirement set, that qualifications list, that ideal persona did not come from them, right? It came from the hiring manager. So the hiring manager owns the job rec, right? In most cases, they're the one actually writing the qualifications. They're writing what the job, you know, work description is. They're yep. posting the job. Depends on the company sometimes. But like I said, the hiring manager is actually the tip of the spear. The recruiters and sourcers are in the middle finding the talent to match that profile. And then you have the back end, right, where, again, there could be a panel of people interviewing, but the decision often, in, in most cases, comes back to the hiring manager, right? That's the person that owns the yeah. final decision and, again, is the, you know, really the, the main authority on who fits the rubric they're looking for. Yeah. So that'd be my first point. Um, I guess my, my second point in terms of how that process works is that it, it does depend on the company, right? I can even tell you the, the last three companies I've worked at, even before Boeing, the hiring process was quite different, right? Amazon's is, you know, light years ahead of, you know, the company I was working at in, in college uh, that was in Virginia. There's, there's lots of different nuances. There's lots of different aspects. And, you know, the interview panels look different. The, the principles that they're trying to use to judge character are different. You know, do your research, right, before you figure out who your target company is. But the main point I want you to walk away with is they're people oriented, right? There's a lot of myths about the ATS system. And there's these robots that are combing my, my resume. And some of that is true, right? Yeah, there's, there's software out there that combs resumes and tries to determine best fit. Um, there are ATS systems that will, you know, look at what you wrote in a cover letter or submitted and try to bump you up or down the review list. But most of it, again, 99% of the process is, is led by humans, right? Like you, you need to write your materials and your applications and whatever uh, for people because people are the ones making the decisions. Um, 
the hard part is getting noticed though, right? Google posts, uh, you know, a program manager job and gets 3000 people to look at it. It's not about, <laughs> you know, the ATS is screening me out at 3000 people. The objective is to stand out. It's to get noticed. It's not the, you know, oh, the ATS kicked me out. That, that's absolutely not the case, right? What happened is that 2,999 other people <laughs> got looked at in front of you, right? That, that could be it. So yeah, it's a people-oriented process. And like, like I said, right, the hiring managers are at the front and the end of it. The recruiters and sourcers are in the middle in most cases. Yeah, and I, I think some of the things that you're saying are super interesting. I want to kind of like follow up uh, some, some things. One thing you mentioned is just get, being visible. And I talk about this at the time, like how I think visibility becomes more important than ability when you're to try to get your foot in the door, right? Because again, if 3,000 people, 3, people are applying, right? I'll, it's going to be really hard that the most qualified person of those 3,000 actually gets the job because of just the number, right? And how maybe they maybe Google does use some sort of applicant tracking system, or maybe the recruiters are manually checking all 3,000. But if you know that there's 3,000 applications, the way you scan a resume is different than if you only have three people who apply for the job, right? If you only have right. three people, the recruiters like looking word for word, trying to make sure this fits. Um, another thing that's interesting, you talked about like if that if it's a spear and how the hiring manager is the front of the spear and the back end of the spear. When you say the front, you mean the front because, hey, um, you, you, your team needs a job, like you, you have an opening in your team, right? So then are you saying you're the front because you then have to determine what is needed for that role? That's exactly right. right. I think recruiters often get a bad rap because they're, you know, <laughs> they're, they're too strict or they won't look at somebody's profile or they're saying no. But again, it's, it's not the recruiter rejecting you, right? It's the recruiter trying to figure out what fits yeah. person asking them to recruit. So you're absolutely right. Um, yeah. I mean, I, I write my own job descriptions and mm -hmm. I write my own qualifications and I decide what I am looking for. Right. I don't have the time to look at 3000 applications, but that's what the recruiting and sourcing team goes and does on my behalf. So from my experience, so when I was working in the corporate, I was in PepsiCo, I was a hiring manager too, right? But more mm -hmm. on a non-technical side, it was more sales and leadership roles that I was hiring for. Um, and I remember this when I first, I, when I came out of college, I thought HR made the final decision, right? But I remember um, it, I would interview and then my boss will interview them too. And, but ultimately my boss always says, Daniel, it's your final call. And I used to be, I remember asking him, why is it my call, not your call, right? He goes, Daniel, because here's the thing, right? Um, we, you have goals you have to meet. You have a, you have a team that you manage. How can I hold you accountable for you to reach those goals if I don't let you pick who's on your team, right? Exactly. And, and, and that really hit me. And I'm like, okay, that makes sense. That he Now he's there. He's part of the interview process because in hiring someone is a big investment. And he just wants to make sure that that person, if there's no red flags, ultimately it's, it's Daniel's choice or it's Adam's choice. But it does become the, the manager's choice because he's in charge of making sure that team either builds the new product or gets the sales metrics or saves the company money, whatever that goal, that team's goal is. Now, um, Adam, for your, if you can, um, have you found that to be true on your side? Yeah. I, I mean, that's absolutely the case, right? HR yeah. isn't telling me who to hire. Um, I think the people that we choose to be on our team 
it's probably the most important decision we make as people leaders, right? As hiring managers. Um, I'm not the person that solves the problem as the manager for the team in most cases, right? And I have leadership responsibilities and I guide the team and make sure I facilitate the kind of culture that's going to solve the problems. But the people doing the work are the real, you know, they're, they're the heroes, right? They're the ones coming up with the big brain ideas and they're the ones figuring out how to, you know, effectively build a product or a program or launch a business or whatever the statement of work requires. But um, like I said, I think deciding between person A, B, and C is, is hard. You know, it's hard because not only do you have to say no to someone, but again, the type of person you bring on and the character that they have and the skills and abilities that they have, the expertise that they have, all of that is going to heavily factor into your team's ability to succeed, right? And that doesn't necessarily mean that there's the one for every single job rec you post. I'm sure there's lots of, you know, there's a handful of great people out there that, that you could pull, but again, their personalities are going to influence the culture. So that's why hiring is such an important decision. That's why, again, the, the big tech companies take so much time and effort to make sure that they're getting the right person for the for that specific team. Um, and that's the other thing to remember, right, is you might be the most qualified person in the world with amazing degrees and amazing skills, but uh, it doesn't always mean you're the best fit for the job, right? There's so many factors, many of them outside of your control that determine what a hiring manager is going to, you know, ultimately decide as, as the best person for that position. And that's the other thing I hope, you know, applicants, candidates, and interested, you know, job seekers would take away is don't, don't take it too personally if you get rejected, right? Don't take it too personally if it's a no, if you don't get a callback, uh, you know, influence what you can control don't overanalyze or worry too much about the things you can't. And unfortunately, that hiring decision is most of the time something you can't control. Give your best, you know, do your best in the interviews, do your best on the resumes, give your best effort when you submit an application or when you're networking to get to that point. But, you know, don't beat yourself up because you interviewed and you got to know, right? I mean, there's a thousand things outside of your sphere of influence that could have happened that it's not worth your time to worry about. Yeah. Um, you know, someone else has to worry about that. So um, I would love for us to kind of talk through what, how, how things happen, essentially. So you're working, you realize either someone on your team gets promoted, goes to a different department, leaves for whatever reason. So there's now a need in your department. So yeah. what, what is the process from, hey, I just realized today that we need to hire someone to the point that we hire someone. And I know that uh, disclaimer, this can be very different in every company, but in a, in a, if we can generalize it to a very common path, hiring yeah. manager, you needed someone, what happens? Yeah, I, I think it's a great question to ask because understanding the high level process is, is important for job seekers. Yes. So I'll talk about a couple of specifics. Um, yeah, let's say I have, I have somebody leave our team for another group, right? And that happens all the time in tech. Um, Turnover is pretty high internally. So I've got an open role. What I'm typically going to do is and it depends on the company, right? But I'd say on average, I'm going to notify somebody in HR that I have an open posting. So typically I say, hey, finance, I got a job opening. Hey, HR, I got a job opening. I'm going to begin the process of creating a rec. So that's mostly me. Typically I'll bring in a couple other people on our team, but we'll write a job description, right? We'll write a, you know, here's what to expect if you join the company section of the JD. 
Um, and then we'll write qualifications. What are the minimum qualifications? What are the desired qualifications? And all that information will go into a job requisition. And then we'll, we'll work to get it posted. And what we mean when we say posted is it's posted inside of some sort of a tracking system. So some people could call this an ATS. Some keep, you know, people could call this an HR database. It, it just depends. But we get it posted into our job requisition management system. And that's typically when you can apply to it. So it'd be visible online, it'd be visible on our website. Um, and then, yeah, candidates would start to apply. I'd say that on average, we'll leave a job requisition or a job posting open for somewhere between two to four weeks. And in that time, again, depending on the company, we'll, you know, I'd say the, the average job rec just around the country is getting somewhere between 250 to 300 applicants. If you're talking, you know, fortune 50 companies, you might expect upwards of five to 600. And in some extreme cases, over a thousand. It just depends on what the role is and how many people are looking for it. But yeah, at that point, and this is where it gets really interesting. The hiring manager pretty much steps away, right? I wrote the rec. I got it posted. I'm going to go do my job now. And the recruiting, sourcing, and HR teams are going to take over. This is where the recruiters really come in. So they take all the information in that job description, including qualifications and the desired skills and all that good stuff. And then they, they do a couple of different things. And, and I'm going to skip to where here's what comes back to me, right? So I turn the rec over to HR. They go work some magic. And here's what comes back to me. I will most likely get a couple emails. And keep in mind, right, I work at a big temp, a tech firm. So if that's your target, you can, you can take this for what it is. I'm going to get an email probably somewhere between a week to two weeks out, and it's going to be from a sourcer or some sort of a you know, recruiting coordinator, and they're going to say, hey, here's our first pass at what came through the, the, the door when you posted that rec. And I'd say typically it's somewhere between 30 to 60 resumes in a PDF file, right? That's, that's what I'm going to get. And in talking with other tech managers that I'm networked with, it looks pretty dang similar to that. And uh, those 30 to 60 PDFs, here's how they got to me, right? They came from one of four buckets. This is also important. Number one, they came from internal applications. So if you implied internal, if, if you want to transfer inside the company, it's very, very likely you're going to get looked at because that process is super easy for everybody and cheap. So there's a lot of incentive for tech companies or whoever company to just transfer internally their people. So like I said, highly likely I'm going to see that. That's bucket number one. Bucket number two is sourcing, right? So that could actually be people that I, the hiring manager, source on my own, or it could be people that the company on my behalf goes out and recruits, right? So they basically start messaging people and sending emails and saying, hey, you know, person X, person Y, are you interested in this role? We'd like you to apply, right? That's bucket number two. Um, they're finding you. Bucket number three is referrals and recommendations, meaning somebody inside our company, let's just use Google as an example, right? Somebody inside of Google basically submitted your resume on your behalf with some sort of an endorsement saying, I think this person would be great for the role or I've worked with them before. Look at them. So if you come through that bucket, again, you're you're way more likely to get seen. Doesn't always guarantee it. You can still be ruled out by HR after the fact because you don't meet a qualification that I signed, 
right? So it's not 100% guarantee, but it's way more likely that I'll see it. Uh, and also keep in mind, there's different kinds of referrals, right? So you can give a full referral, meaning, hey, I've worked with this person before. I, you know, I endorse every aspect of them. You can give a limited referral, which is where, you know, I met this person online. I think what they do is good. We should look at them. It doesn't necessarily mean I endorse everything about them. It just means I think they're worth a look, right? That's bucket number three. Bucket number four is just a straight up application, right? So this would be quote unquote, the ATS, right? So everybody that applied that didn't have one of those other three things is going to be in bucket number four. And that's where you could have your machine learning or artificial intelligence or people looking at the applications, deciding who gets looked at, right? Who's the top of the pile out of however many applications are in there. It could be five. It could be a thousand. It just depends on the company and the role. But those four buckets is how resumes get into that email that shows up in my inbox. And then like Daniel said, I am probably going to block an hour of time on my calendar. This is just me personally to sit down and read through 30 to 60 resumes. And if you do the math on 30 to 60 resumes, I'm, I'm somewhere between one to two minutes, right? I think the, the last Kinsta report I read, you know, Kinsta is a statistical analysis company said anywhere between seven to 15 seconds is how much the average hiring manager will spend on your resume. I, I'm a little bit longer than that. I, I like to just get a little bit more thorough, but the whole point is it's not a lot of time. Typically one to two minutes is not enough time to read an entire resume. That's the thing you should be walking away with is that I say 90% of the time, I'm not reading every line of a resume. There is just not enough time. And usually I can tell whether or not you're kind of in or out in much less than that. Um, so that's all four buckets. That's how the process works. Um, and then, yeah, once I have those 30 to 60 resumes, I send an email back with, let's say my top five to 10 picks. And then HR, again, on my behalf, begins the process of scheduling phone screens and interviews, and then off we go. Um, that's the high level. And I think what's interesting takeaway for me when you're sharing that is um, how most people are focusing on the fourth bucket. Yeah. In order of priority, that's kind of like the last, like I think, so, in, in, so if I understood this correctly, cause I think I've had very similar experience when you're saying this, something happens. And even in the way that when we did it at PepsiCo for the first two weeks, it was posted internally before it was external post. So we were, um, and again, I think the difference would be because most of the jobs we hire for were non-technical versus if you're in a tech company, maybe there is, it, it could be different. I can see why you want to post it both at the same time. So in PepsiCo, the majority of the roles were posted either two to three weeks, depending on how rushed. It also depends on how fast do we need that role filled. Also that dictates how long this process takes, right? Um, and so it was internal first and then opened up to external and then we also would look for referrals, right? Whether, and if it also like all referrals are not created equal, sure, they could have used the right. referral link, but if someone on your team, Adam, that currently works on that project has someone that they have referred, that person will get a much better look. That person might get three minutes to, to review their resume versus one minute if they came from a different bucket, right? So, um, right. and so I think the important thing is making sure that you're getting visibility um, and so that is whether it's internal referrals, right? Or in, in this scenario, if they're sourcing them out individually. Um, and then, so 
And then last, last bucket was they applied online um, and, and the software kind of dictated that it looks like they have what, what the job description is looking for. So now you get to view, you select five to 10 people. That's who you then interview um, and then goes through the process, correct? Yeah, that's pretty much it. Um, it's about as simple as that. I mean, there's other things to consider, right? There's the timing of when you apply, because if you're on the early side versus the late side, that can affect where you fall in the, you know, in the recommendation list. Depends on when I want to look at the candidates, but yeah, that's pretty much it. Um, I think, um, and also important to understand too that the company wants you to do as little as work as possible and so you're delegating a lot of the time consuming stuff right um that's what the sourcers and the recruiters are kind of trying to do yet you need to be they want you to be involved because ultimately you have a better judge of character or judgment not necessarily character on whether they're a good fit for the role or not because you're the one that's doing the job exactly right and that's why it's ultimately my decision and not and not theirs because I know exactly what my team needs and that's not necessarily their job, right? That's not right. their job to understand that. Um, and then, so the last thing I want to talk about, because I, it's crazy how we've already been coming close to 30 minutes on this is <laughs> we say hiring manager, but it's not as easy to find hiring managers as there is to recruiters, right? Like recruiters is just type rec recruiters on, on LinkedIn and they'll yep. pop, but you have hiring manager on your headline. So sure, we, you would pop up. But most hiring managers don't have hiring managers on their headline. So what advice do you have to find hiring managers um, like on LinkedIn? Yeah, it's a good question. Um, it's tricky to find them sometimes and depends on the company again, right? Some, sometimes with smaller companies, it's much easier because they'll post the title of who's reporting to who, and you can just do a quick LinkedIn search and figure out who that is. I know lots of people that do that, but my, uh, my, my honest recommendation is it's a couple things. If you get tapped for a job by a source or recruiter, just ask, because again, like that's ultimately the person that you're going to be talking with. So you got a direct link. Just ask the question. If you're applying to a job online and again, you don't know who it is. Um, I'd probably give the same advice that I'd give to most of our job search clients is I don't recommend starting with an application, right? I recommend trying to first go through some sort of a connection, whether it's a person you're loosely connected with or a really strong connection that we would call an advocate. Um, the ideal scenario is you have a really strong advocate inside of that company that can give you the full, re you know, full recommendation, full referral, and even I'd say the best case scenario is just put you directly in front of a hiring manager. Some people or some companies won't allow them to share contact information of hiring managers just to protect those people. Some companies will. Again, you can ask, but let's say you have a you know strong advocate inside of Facebook that uh, can put your resume and maybe a cover letter in front of the hiring manager for the job you're interested in. That's that's the most effective means, right? Because that's the person making the decision. So in terms of like what's the ideal way to get noticed. It's not recruiters or sourcers. It's to get directly in front of the HM, the hiring manager. Um, if you don't have those strong advocates, again, the next thing or next best scenario is go for those referrals and recommendations, right? You can know anyone in the company in most cases, right? You only have to be connected to one person at Google for that person at Google to hit the referral or recommendation button. Um, and again, it doesn't 100% guarantee you because you might not be qualified for the role. That's always possible. But assuming you are, 
you're, you know, 10 times more likely to get looked at by the hiring team um, than you would be if you just applied and never talked to anybody. So in terms of how I recommend it, yeah, I'd say use people. That's, that's really the, the magic secret formula. If there is one is use people, use, you know, interpersonal family connections. If you've got them, people that, you know, would, you know, go to bat for you, use advocates that you've connected through past jobs, experiences or schools or alumni groups. I mean, there's, we could talk about that for days, right? There's lots of ways to find people that'll help you out, but people are the, that's the best possible thing you can use to get noticed, to get found, to get your foot in the door. And then beyond that, if, if you don't have strong advocates or connections, go establish them on your own, right? That's what LinkedIn is, is all about is create, re create relationships with people that can help influence your career um, or could hit that referral button or could put your resume in front of somebody else. Um, you can go build those on your own. There's nothing stopping you from doing that. And then of course, the last option, right? Would just be, you know, the, the spray and pray method, right? Drop lots of applications and hope one gets noticed. And it's not how I would recommend my time, but it's still, it still is an option. Still gets lots of people jobs. It's just lower probability. So yeah. pick and choose wisely. Love it. Adam, well, this has been great. I know time has been flying. Um, if people want to learn more about what you do, broader co coaching as a whole, uh, what's the best way for them to get a hold of you? Yeah, I'd say just connect with me on LinkedIn. Honestly, I'm I'm pretty active. I look at it multiple times a day. I've got a, our website is linked on my personal profile. Um, so yeah, we have a website, brotocoaching.com. You can check out, talks about our services and pretty much everything that we do and how we do it. But the easiest way is just drop me a DM on LinkedIn and um, you know, like or comment on a post and I'll usually interact with you. That's the easiest, in my opinion. Love it. Adam, thank, thank you so much. I'll make sure to put, if you... Uh, I'll put a link to Adam's uh, LinkedIn account in the show notes. So if you want to connect with him, um, you can go there. Adam, I think this has been awesome. Uh, for everybody who's listening, thank you so much and catch you guys on the next episode. You've been listening to How to Get a Job College Student Edition. We hope that you enjoyed this week's episode. If you use Apple Podcasts, we'd love for you to give us a quick rating for the show. And if you use Spotify, go ahead and give us a follow so you'll be notified whenever we upload. Until the next time, catch you guys on the next episode.